Hello, everybody, and welcome to MatchCast. Thank you for joining us today. We are very excited to have Carrie Lannon as a guest on the podcast. Carrie is a public relations leader and the chief brand officer at Zapwater Communications. Zapwater is a PR agency specializing in lifestyle brands. In her career, Carrie has had her own PR agency working with luxury and fashion brands like Mercedes-Benz and Tiffany and & Company, and was national director of PR at Ulta Beauty. Ulta is a beauty product retailer with over 900 stores. Carrie, thank you very much for joining us. We're excited to have you. Thank you. Well, let's dive right in because we're really excited to talk with you about branding today and what the modern world of branding looks like and, and how that can relate to the digital world in which we are living. So you've owned your own marketing agency. You've held in-house positions at different companies, including overseeing public relations for a $2 billion publicly traded retail company. What are the basic brand premises through these different situations that hold true? Well, to me, brand is the public face of a company, and therefore it is so important because the companies that I've worked with were not B2B, they were B2Consumer, and so what the consumer was seeing was definitely going to influence brand preference, brand consideration, and brand purchase. Whether I was working with companies that had their brand together like a Tiffany & Company, Mercedes-Benz. I used to say my agency wasn't hired to invent the branding for those companies. My agency was hired because they felt we really understood on a very deep level what the brand stood for. Hmm. And when you're in-house, you are actually part of creating that brand and getting that brand in front of the public. So I think one is more about understanding the brand of your clients, very important, and when you're in-house, you're actually part of the process of creating the brand itself. Interesting. And that idea of brand creation versus a brand that is well-established and maybe is maintaining its position or improving it is a theme that we'll come back to here. But for now, let's take one quick step back and say, just how would you define a brand? Well, I would define uh, branding actually as a process. And I think it's the process of creating a unique name or identity. And it usually is supported by advertising, marketing, public relations. Digital plays a really important part in that, obviously, these days. So these kind of B2C businesses that you've been referring to are really right up our alley as well as an agency. We focus on similar B2C companies. But for our listeners who, who are definitely accustomed to this world, what in particular about maybe some of the fashion and luxury brands that you've worked with? You've mentioned Mercedes-Benz and Tiffany and & Company. What do they do well that might apply to other industries, whether somebody's starting up or they're just a different business, B2C world? Well, what's been exciting to me because branding is my passion. And so when you're working with top-level brands, in my career that's included also Prada and Louis Vuitton and Kate Spade, brands that really have a strong identity they are hypervigilant about protecting their brand to a degree that I find many companies that are not in that industry are not. So, for example, at a Tiffany's, every single collateral piece, every single 
digital communication that goes out. Everything is aligned with the soul, the heart of that brand. And I think companies that are not in fashion or in luxury would do really well to consider their brand a little more than they do. I think it's like the shoemaker's children have no shoes. I find a lot of companies are so busy generating business that they're not always considering the brand as strongly as they could. Interesting. Do you have an example from those companies that you just mentioned where you saw them defending their brand to an extreme degree? As part of that, what is it about those industries in particular, fashion in particular, that requires that sort of vigilance on a brand level? That's a great question. It requires that vigilance because what they're selling is their image. Mm. Certainly there's products, but they're really selling a dream, a vision, a lifestyle. And therefore, the brand has got to appeal to their target market. It's not just symbolizing a product. The brand encompasses the product. It helps you visualize a lifestyle, a dream that you're going to have if you have this product. So it's so very important. And it was really fashion brands that started advertising, placing products in lifestyle situations. Before that, it was just a product, a car sitting on a page. Then all of a sudden, fashion and luxury brands started including product in lifestyle settings. So that was very important. I think in terms of a good example, my best example is certainly Tiffany and Company. As you'll notice, you'll never see a Tiffany blue box anywhere, but at Tiffany and Company. They even defend the boxes that they have. And defend, I mean, they've got legal support so that if someone starts using that Tiffany blue or anything that is aligned with their brand, they will defend that because they, it's important to their uh, business. That is really interesting and great insight. And so let's flip the script a little bit. We're talking about these established players that have a strong position to defend or try to improve. What about a new brand that's trying to break in on some of that turf? I can think of a couple of examples, but is it easier or faster now than it used to be? And what do you think about that? It has become more important than it ever was because the brand is going out digitally in a nanosecond. It's not like it's a a print piece or something that's an advertisement that will come and go. Once something's in the digital domain, you know, we tell our clients it's there to stay. So you have to be very thoughtful about what's going out now that relates to your brand because it will be seen on digital and it will have a wide and it can have an international distribution. So it's very important. Yeah. I mean, this could even be the subject of a different podcast, but the power of video and live video to capture everything that's happening in the world tends to make people think that the world's gotten really bad. But in my opinion, I think if you go at any time in human history and you gave people the ability to see anything that's happening anywhere, you know, there would be some ugly things that are stirred up. If you think about on a topical notion, the United Airlines fiasco of the passenger being dragged off. I mean, who knows if that's ever happened before, but we know it's not really ever happened before since everybody had a video camera in their hand all the time. You can talk about more societal levels of police abuse and things like that, where because people have a video camera and can record everything at all times, a brand is only as safe as its weakest link or its worst moment out in the world. And that can be really unsettling if you have a strong position to defend. 
Oh, yes. I mean, the term really nowadays, there's a new term called citizen journalist. Mm -hmm. Every citizen is a journalist or thinks they are because yeah. they have a phone in their hand. And a Twitter account that they can Absolutely. tweet it five seconds later. Yes. And how that film is edited can persuade someone one way or the other about how you want to tell the story. I think for new businesses starting to create their brands, I think you asked about that. I think of brand as the soul of a company. And I've worked with a couple companies that were in startup mode. And the best ones will really put a lot of thought into brand before they go out. And I actually worked with a major company that I cannot name okay. <laughs> that did do all this work. It was uh, two companies coming together to create a new retail concept. And they worked so hard on the brand and they had that it down. But I knew the minute I saw it, it was not going to resonate with the target market. Mm -hmm. And so even big companies can get it wrong is the point. How did you know and what made you think that it was not going to resonate? If if the detail is interesting or if you can Yes, yes. It. I think it wasn't going the the product was a retail concept for women and I think that the brands, the two companies that came together were so they were talking to themselves. Yeah. They were so enamored with the concept that they really didn't consider the customer and whether she was going to resonate with the brand. And when you say that a group of people are getting together to do a lot of work to get the brand right or dial it in at the beginning and really work through it. And you're saying in a good example of companies doing this, and maybe in this example, they were trying, but the, the outcome wasn't uh, ideal. What does that process look like of when you're trying to quote unquote, get it down? That is words. It has to start with words mm -hmm. and it can be supported by a vision board. And everyone that's collaborating together has to come to agreement on, is this the brand we want? Is this how it looks? Because from those words, from that vision board, that's when a new logo is developed. Mm -hmm. And a really good designer wants all that backstory yep. because they're considering that when they're designing the logo. Yeah, the, for the logo to be good, that has to have a story in it that yes. resonates with the company's meaning or where it started or whatever it is that is part of their story. Yes. And again, because everything's going out through digital, everybody's going to see that identity. Yeah. And so you mentioned words specifically. We've had the experience as an agency and we're more of a direct response agency, but we certainly have had the experience that we've had startups or companies that were still trying to figure things out. And you could tell that their brand was all over the place and they hadn't done this work. And then there's other small companies that do a very good job of it. And then there's bigger clients we've had where I'm thinking of Indiana University and New Balance, where they have brand guidelines, a brand guide that they send to us. And I love that. I want it. Like, do you have a brand guide? Please. We want the exact colors. We want the exact font. We want, you can say this word, you can't say that word. Because it's really important because it shows us, it makes our job easier, first of all, as we're writing ads and things like that. But it also gives us some comfort to know that the people have worked through this and they know who they are. Well, you bring up a very good point because in my experience, when a company does not have their brand together, the liftoff is slower because they will have to keep trying to tweak it and reinvent it. And at some points realize it's just not working for them. If that work is put up front, everything else falls in line. You know, the marketing people know what to do. The, the digital people know what to do. If that brand is very clear and if a company has clients, 
as I did when I had my agency, the first thing we did was make sure that we understood the brand. So mm-hmm. our pitch to the client was always, this is how we see your brand. Yeah. And I see some agencies don't do that. There's yeah. assumptions being made and you want to level set that right at the beginning yeah. so that a company has a chance to say, nope, that's not really a priority for us or yes, that is exactly how we see our brand. That's great. So you get to have that precision ahead of time, or if it's not there, you could even help bring it along, which of course would be part of what you're doing. If it's a new company, you you want to be clear on that. I think any supporting agencies, whether it's marketing or advertising, PR, they should really be clear they understand the brand before they start their work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Food for thought for the Mashno team on the strategic end of things. I like that. (laughs) Thank you. So we talked a little bit about, you mentioned citizen citizen journalism and of course, social media, kind of societal things that can can end up in the branding world having a big impact quickly. What are some current trends you see in branding that you think are on the rise? What I'm really excited about is the spirit of collaboration that I see happening. Because I think, especially for small to medium businesses that used to always see themselves as competing And I'll give you an example of this. At Zapwater, we are part of, and David Zapata, who uh, started Zapwater, was part of the founding team of something called Travel Lifestyle Network. So this is a network of medium-sized owner agencies internationally that come together to help each other either obtain business, support business, or understand what the international trends are so that they can compete with the larger international brands. So I see a tendency for clients to want more personalization, to have a more human touch with their work, with their vendors. And you can do that as a smaller company, but sometimes you need the heft of a larger company. And you can get that through collaboration. And I see that happening on a lot of fronts. And then what would the larger company in that example potentially get from the smaller company? Well, what they can get is very specific regional intel data. For example, we we have a client that is going to have a presence in China. We can work with our China partner and really understand on the ground what is happening there and support that with data and analytics. But to have people on the ground with the connections that you usually need and the work we do is really helpful. Great. So how does social media fit into all that? You mentioned humanity and, be, and being human. There's a lot of, of course, interaction that can happen direct with your customers and partners on social media. How do you see this uh, you know, on the subject of trends fitting into or, and evolving as it relates to social media and building a brand? Well, social media is a very exciting topic to me. When I was at Alta, I was overseeing social media for over a million fans, so Every day was a new adventure because every day you have something happening with your fans, good, bad, or indifferent. I see trends happening very quickly, but some are staying. I'll give you one example is the use of influencers in marketing. Mm -hmm. Now, if you, I know I did a project that involved the Kardashians and we looked at the analytics and they can put out, combined the three sisters, they can put out Uh, something on social media, and ultimately reach 75 million people. Wow. So that's power. Yeah. Um, So the influencers' use of social media has become a powerful tool in branding. 
Yeah, that's interesting. So influencer marketing is a great area for us maybe to examine a little bit more of this overlap between direct response marketing and brand marketing and digital. With New Balance, we ran a test on influencer campaigns where we had local influencers coming into stores for fitness events and racing, things of that nature. And once the influencers created the content, we would use paid social ads advertising to get more people to see it. So that's a great example of a way in which, you know, the influencers were definitely driving branding at the same time we were able to put ad dollars behind it to have it reach more people. Do you see that these digital tools are making the lines blurred between branding and direct response? That really is an ideal situation when you are working with influencers and supporting them with paid. That can be a very strong combination. One thing that is important to know is that, especially with millennials, they don't really care if it's paid or not paid. Uh, I think before the digital uh, advent of digital, there was a very strong demarcation between advertising and editorial. That line has been blurred and a lot of users of social media don't care. You know, I know personally, I like it when I'm being delivered ads that are of interest to me. And that's where analytics comes in because, you know, the analytics like Match know they know that I like certain things and fine, deliver it to me. I think there's two words that are important with consumers these days when it comes to digital, and that is first, easy. Make it easy. Make it easy for me to buy. Make it easy for me to understand. Make it a smooth experience. The second is interest. Fine. Target me. Give me information. Give me products that you think I might really be interested in. I think that's really interesting that the judgment is no longer, is this an ad or an, is this an editorial? And there's there's a lot of people maybe that struggle with that change. And then the, the line is more now, is this what I'm interested in seeing right now? Is this is this interesting enough and relevant enough to me that I'm going to you know, engage with it or read more about it? So with that being the case, and, and we can use millennials as, as kind of a catch-all for the fact that some of this is generational as these changes happen faster and faster. If it's easy and if it is interesting, do you find the word authenticity in, in the identity around the brands something that is going to matter for millennials and for people who now we're in this world where the line between an ad and and something that's editorial has has blurred further? I think authenticity as it applies to the service or product and certainly the company values is important across generations. Millennials are very quick. They're very smart. They're reading a lot. They're on digital all the time. And I think a brand, a service, a company will be found out very quickly if they are straying from their core values or if they're doing something that is not on the up and up. For example, promoting a brand that really may not be the quality. You might have been able to get away with that years ago, but you can't now because Consumers will be all over that on social media and you will be found out. So it's adhering to those core values that's important now and, and, and always has been? Yes. And I often talk about brands that do a rebrand. I think it was Pepsi or Coke that just tweaked their logo a bit. Big companies and small do go through rebrands. We just did a rebrand at Zapwater because we realized we weren't being represented for who we were now. But what should remain the same through any rebrand is the core values of the company. 
Uh, that does not change. Uh, so that adhering to those core values allows you to evolve and develop in other areas uh, that might be more public facing, but the core values need to stay. So the core values stay. There's, there's, there's pieces of people's and companies' identities that are always in flux just as time changes. But if you adhere to those core values, then people over time will recognize that you're being authentic to who you are and always have been in the way that you can serve them with their product, with your product or service. Yes, because there are also companies that have a knee-jerk reaction. And those are usually the less sophisticated, less experienced, where they might say, oh, we're not getting the kind of business we wanted. Let's change everything. Let's change how we look. And how we look should be tied into core values and having that all aligned beforehand. You can't have a knee-jerk reaction, change how you look, and expect that's going to do the trick because in the end, you're going to have to do that again and again if you never took the time to figure out what your core values are. Makes sense. I mean, it sounds like whether it's the case of a company that is longstanding, whether it's Coca-Cola or Tiffany or Mercedes, that the work that they're doing to evolve but maintain their values but evolve their identity or the work that a startup might do when they're really beginning is very related and it has to be about this core value that is your through line that goes throughout everything that you do and if you don't have that then you start to look disjointed and people don't even know what you are so if you show up in my feed whether it's paid or organic I'm just like what is this about oh yes and so this work is very nuanced and it sounds, it, it, I wouldn't say it sounds complicated. It's interesting in its nuance and it requires, like you said, it is the soul. So it requires a bit of soul searching. And so uh, as a, I'm sitting here with my business owner hat on, thinking about clients that we have, this work is very difficult and important. How do you, I want to ask, how do you, how do you do this? But I think part of how you do it is to seek out professionals and experts like Carrie and Zapwater. Yes. I mean, if, if, the, if branding is not your expertise, you do need to get experts in. And I, I do see some small to mid-sized companies, uh, they don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. They think, oh, this is fine. My cousin's nephew knows how to draw. He can do a logo. <laughs> and they don't realize that that logo is going to stay with you. Think big. Think big. That, and, and that logo will stay with you for years to come. That's why it's so important to get it right in the beginning. Well, great. I definitely uh, didn't know things at the beginning of this podcast that I know now. So thank you for sharing your expertise and knowledge, Carrie, and your time. Uh, we really appreciate it. And thank you very much for joining us. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you.